This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and she's Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I think this is funny. We just like to talk baseball. We don't we don't do too much of like X's and O's here, overthinking what we're gonna talk about, even really discussing what we're gonna talk about. We just like talking about baseball. But what is my favorite thing here is like every topic that we're gonna hit on today is like your favorite everything. And it makes me so happy as I'm reading through this, I'm like, Sarah's just gonna thrive this whole. I mean, not that you don't normally, but I'm just sitting here like this is this is as it, as good as it gets. There's Shohei Otani, uh, of course Juan Soto, uh, Ellie doing Ellie things. Oh my gosh! And so yeah, well, there's so much going on. Uh, I'm excited to get to the end of the show because I'm excited to have my moment in baseball. So let's just start from the top, and we need to start with the guy who deserves all of the attention in the world all the time and i'm feeling like i'm back in 2022 waiting for everyone to tweet out home run stats and home run pacer and tracker and what is he gonna do shohei otani is ridiculous my parents were just in town over the weekend and somehow we were looking at i think we're looking at how uh little Miles Straw has power, and uh, I was just looking on fan graphs and just seeing Shohei Otani at the top of the list for everything, and then also remembering that he's an incredible pitcher. Like, I just, I will never, ever understand how he's able to do what he does, and there you have it. I'm sitting there on Twitter, and I see, oh, Shohei Otani home run on pace for 59, and all these things. What on earth, what is, I know you get to at least watch these games. What is it like to just sit here and hope for ridiculous history every single night? I mean, it's incredible. And, you know, we had uh, the Angels on Sunday baseball uh, last week, two weeks ago, after the All-Star break. And Carl Ravitch and David Cohn and Vardo Perez were kind of commenting. And the uh, cameras were even showing how everyone streams back into their seats from the concourse when he's coming up. And that's not to say that the fans aren't watching the other players on the Angels, but it's one of those things where nobody wants to be in the bathroom, nobody wants to be in the beer line, in the hot dog line when he is coming up. And... If there's one good time, if he isn't pitching, that is, to go get a snack, it's right after his at-bat because you know you've eaten more guys before he'll come off again. And I feel like that's the type of attention we saw last year for Aaron Judge and 
if you go back further, you go to the home run chases in the 90s at the end of the 90s with McGuire and Sosa and everything with Barry Bonds in 2000s. I mean, he is getting that kind of attention as he should. And as you said, he's also still, even with... <laughs> Not his best start on Friday. He is still leading in the majors in opponent batting average among all pitchers, which is just incredible. I don't understand how I, again, the closer we get to the trade deadline, I am just, my head is spinning more and more of the possibilities, what would happen, what should happen, what could happen. Like I, I have no idea. And I think, it's so funny because I, I was on our, our homepage, I, I think it was for my newsletter like a week ago or something like that, that I was trying to put in some headlines from other stories. And it made me laugh so much that we just had our own Shohei Otani trade rumor uh, story on its own. It's not just grouped into all of the stra- trade rumors. It's like, all right, what's what's going on with Shohei Otani? Thought it was incredible, but it's just like, I don't know. I don't I don't know how else we can continue to talk about his greatness and it just seems like it's fake at this point like how much we're all in awe of him but it really isn't cuz I just feel like I say the same thing every week of how on earth is he doing this and I truly mean it more and more each time I'm saying it but it doesn't seem possible to keep meaning it because you're just beating a dead horse at this point. So I don't know. I want him to set every record possible this year. I want him to go into this off season and we're sitting here hearing ridiculous numbers that you'll never hear again. And I am just so excited for all of it. And if he can chase down what Judge did last year. My gosh, imagine September. It's going to be so much fun. And anything we can get to have people watch, not just West Coast games, but just watching Otani as much as possible. I don't don't think the world necessarily understands what we have right now and how we should just be soaking that in. Like, imagine living during the time of Babe Ruth. Everyone now, in retrospect, would be like, oh my gosh, we need to watch this game. If we could be transported back, everyone would be like, oh, let's watch Babe Ruth play tonight. We have that and more right now. So, like, sort of realize you can live in the moment and take it in. I think if he just gets on a roll, people will do that even more. And we have technology, so anyone can watch that game. With Babe Ruth, I mean, I don't know, maybe on the radio if you were nearby, but you basically had to be at the game in order to see him. But now you can watch Otani, you can listen to what he's doing. There's so many options, so many ways to keep up with what he's doing. But I wanted to bring another piece of context about if he were to get traded. So last week we talked about how no player has won MVP in the season that he was treated, which shows that no team has ever taken the step to trade a guy while he's in a hands-down, no-question MVP season. So another thing to keep in mind, and Jason Bernard asked me this yesterday, right when Otani homered, he said, hey, what is the most home runs for a guy? 
before being traded in the season or the most home runs mm-hmm. for a guy to play for multiple teams, most home runs in that with that first team. And the answer is 34, so two fewer than Otani has right now by Mark McGuire in 1997. And I have a list, so there's a handful of guys with 30-plus. Um, Gus Zerniel in 1951 had 33. Adam Dunn, 32 in 08. Greg Vaughn with 31 in 96. And then you have uh, some guys with 30 and 29 and so on. So again, it's just another point to the idea that we do not see guys playing like this get traded. And again, you can look at that either way, but I look at that from the team perspective, from the front office perspective. Then we really don't see teams say, all right, 36 home runs, thanks for playing. See you somewhere else, you know? Yeah. I, again, out of words of how we're going to go into this, this year is going to just break the ceilings of what could possibly be offered to this man. I am going to half vomit when I hear numbers getting close to 600 million whatever it is but this is going to be a blast and i cannot wait to get there um and there's really no perfect transition out of shohei otani talk because like he's just the king of everything at this moment but we can get into talking about what the orioles are doing right now because this is as much as you expect otani to be otani To me, this is a little bit more surprising. I know the Orioles have been trending and trending and trending in the right direction and finally rebuilding from what we saw in like the mid-2010s of whenever they were competitive and fun, and then they fell off quite hard, and it just went really, really quiet for a few years. To be back at this point where they are fun and they're exciting, we saw glimpses of it last year, but it just wasn't quite enough. And I remember last season just randomly seeing you tweet the Orioles in all caps. And I was like, is this team fun? Like, is this, is this going to be it? Like, are they, is this the the corner that they're turning? And it turns out it was. And now they're in the most competitive division that we've seen in a long time. And they're sitting up at the top of it. And my gosh, it's quite a turnaround. And if you're thinking about, how dominant the Rays always seem to be, and you're seeing the Orioles go toe-to-toe with them still at the end of July. This is really, really fun to watch. I mean, the Rays had been in first place in some form or another, whether tied or fully holding it since the beginning of the season. Then the Orioles won this series. They took three or four in this weekend series against threes and all of a sudden they're two games up in that division. I mean, the Orioles, as you said, we saw them coming, we saw this building. And I'm not sure anyone other than Michael Elias and their brain trust 
would have believed on July 24th, 2023, not 2024, not 2025 or 2026, but this year at the end of July, that the Orioles would be the second best team in baseball right now, which is what they are. The 6-16 record entering Monday, trailing only the Braves. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what they've been doing. Um, I love this stat that's been floating around. I've been updating it the last few series for them. So they have now gone 71 straight series. The series being at least two games without being swept. So obviously, as you know, as our listeners know, every team enters a series looking to win the series. Baseball people will tell you they don't care about sweeps in terms of sweeping. I mean, they enjoy doing that, but their goal is to always win two out of three, win three out of four, and that puts you in a good spot. But sometimes even avoiding being swept is, you know, Something to hang your hat on. So the Orioles have gone 71 series without being swept. That is the eighth longest streak ever. The longest was the 1942-44 Cardinals and 125, but then right ahead of the Orioles. So with their next series this week against the Phillies in Philadelphia, there are three teams that had a 72 series streak. So if they don't get swept by the Phillies this week, they will tie the 03 to 05 Braves, 97 to 99 Padres, and then 1921 to 23 Browns, which is of course the franchise that is now the Orioles. And I think it's really significant with this set because this dates back to May of last year. And as Kevin Brown, their great play-by-play on Masson said the other day with this streak, this is the entire Adley Rushman era. They have not been swept with him on the roster, with him up in the bigs, and that is really when we saw Everything that they were building towards just have this inordinate sea change of these are the Orioles, these are the all-caps Orioles. You know, I've stopped tweeting it this year because they win so much. I mean, there were (laughs) Orioles fans in my mentions in April being like, why aren't you doing that? And I do want to address that. It's because it's expected now. And last year... At that point, when they had a really good June, really good July, and kept pushing, it was still kind of unexpected. But if you're the best team in your league, you don't get the all-caps, the Orioles, because we expect you to win, and it's so great to see for this franchise. I think it says a lot about Adley Rutschman. Obviously, baseball is a little bit of a different sport compared to others where one guy cannot just completely carry a team. You can't have a LeBron James lead you to do something. You can't have a Michael Jordan. You can't have a Tom Brady. You can't have those types of things as much as you can maybe in other sports. Not completely, but a little bit easier. But I do think that this needs to be re 
greatly miss the attention to Adley Rushman and what he's means to this organization and what he can bring. And now you have guys like Gunnar Henderson. Like the, these guys are young, but they're fun and they're important and they're clearly doing all of the right things. When you start getting into a category where you're only one of what did you say nine teams or whatever to have like a, a streak like this. So, um, and I think it even speaks more that they are where they are in the division that they are in. I think it would be another thing if people saw them going up against the AL Central teams right now, and it's like, okay, well, they played the majority against the Royals, and they played the majority against the White Sox and Tigers, and uh, even the Twins and Guardians who are fighting for first place. Like, okay, like, yes, they're good, but are they good? Are they going to get to the postseason and not be great? No, they're in as competitive of an environment as they can possibly be in. And I think all of this proves that they are finally where they've been trying to build to be. And this is the year that they could go on their run. Now, does it mean they'll be the same team in October that they are at July 24th? No one knows. And so... that's the exciting part of baseball. Like it's a ridiculously long season and there's so many different types of teams that can be in one single season. A team that was horrible. We saw it with the nationals a few years ago, a team that was horrible to start the year can win the world series and a team that you thought was a surefire thing in July could fall apart. But I think this Orioles team is going to be just one of the best ones that we've seen in a long time. And can you just imagine like how awesome it would be for a fan base that's been waiting for so long to see some sort of special postseason run? I think that this could be a season where the Orioles can pull that type of magic out of a hat and they can just really run with youth. I've seen what youth can do firsthand for a team. Um, it's not always a bad thing. It doesn't always just mean growing pains. It can be an extra layer of adrenaline excitement um it can bring different types of uh why not us types of of views because you don't really know any better and sometimes that's for the better um and i think that this is all working in the favor of the orioles rather than being obstacles they have to i love that you said magic because the orioles have this theme song orioles magic and it goes Orioles magic, feel it happen, the magic of Orioles baseball. And the last time the Orioles were really kind of unexpectedly exciting, I would say, was when they made the playoffs in 2012, right? And I was in college, and I mentioned my friend JT, who was a huge Orioles fan. (laughs) And we were just hanging out in his room with him and his roommate Ted and a couple other friends and just blast that song, World's Magic. (laughs) So when you said magic talking about them, I was like, she knows. And (laughs) I know, I know you were there for a summer. So even if it was subconscious, I feel like you knew what you were doing saying that there. (laughs) So I love it. But yeah, I mean, I love this for all of the Orioles fans. I know JT, uh, Taylor Schwenk, who's our great producer on the Baseball Tonight podcast, and of course the broadcasters, Melanie and Kevin, everybody. I mean, it's just so exciting to see happiness and excitement with their team. 
All right, I think we have so much more to say about Ellie De La Cruz. We have Juan Soto, which, goodness, you, I'm sure, can talk plenty about him. So we'll take a break right now. When we come back, we'll hit on those two guys and then eventually, as always, get to our favorite segment of saying our favorite things from baseball over the past week. So stay with us. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. to the ballpark dimensions podcast i'm mandy that's sarah and i see a lot of capital letters on our document that we sort of throw things in to guide us of where this conversation is probably going to go that means it's probably a sarah tech uh, sarah tweet and when sarah tweets in all capital letters that means something fun statsy happened and Ellie De La Cruz gets this turn, so you go ahead. I mean, the excitement's there. I will let you read off exactly what you saw from Ellie De La Cruz. So last Monday when we chatted a week ago, I was all excited because that previous Sunday, the day before, Ellie De La Cruz had set a record and with a 97.9 mile an hour throw. The fastest track to assist by an infielder under Stackhouse. On Thursday, he said, oh, your list, that's cute. And threw <laughs> a ball, 99.8 miles an hour. This was a relay throw to get Wilmer Flores at the plate, but that's all an assist. So that, <laughs> two miles an hour faster, basically, than that other throw is now the fastest track to assist by an infielder under Sackhouse. He has the top two, 99.8 and 97.9, and he just continues to dazzle with these tools. So he now has four assists and 95 plus this season, which is the most by an infielder in a single season. And of course, that's in his entire career which ties Tatis Fernando Tatis Jr. for the most as an infielder in a career under Sackass. And, you know, I saw that uh, Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman talked about this a little bit on their Baseball Barbicast uh, podcast last week, that there's some fans on Twitter who, when someone on their team does something, have taken a saying, Oh, if Ellie Dela Cruz did this, everyone would be freaking out. I do not like when people take that approach. I saw people tweeting these things over the weekend, getting upset that other players weren't getting their due. There is enough room to appreciate every single player in Major League Baseball. And yes, L.A. De La Cruz had not been hitting great 
until recently he had been a bit on you know a downturn there but he did hit a leadoff home run on Sunday the third youngest red to do so since 1900 and I just want to say to the fans who are upset about the coverage that's not the way to be. L.A. Dela Cruz has an arm and has these incredible tools that we can measure with SACAS and we will always highlight that. There's room to highlight every player but I just I had to say that because I can't stand when we get all hyped about a player and people are like, oh yeah, whatever. No, this is amazing. We need to appreciate it. We have so much room, so much appreciation for every single player in baseball. It's not often that a guy comes up and is exactly what the scouting reports said. They get to that point at some point in their career. There's a reason that there's things written about them. There's reasons that they'll say this guy has the potential to hit 30 home runs in a season, swipe 40 bases, whatever it might be. There's things that they're written for a reason. But he was everything his scouting report said on day one. He had that, what was it? Did he have it? He had a double in his debut that was like 117 miles an hour or something like that. Something stupid. Like he, everything about him is exactly what you expected. And it was about his arm strength. I think MLB Pipeline had him as a 60 grade arm strength, 60 grade power, um, and 60 grade speed. And so you have all of that. I don't understand how you see all of that on day one and continue to see it every single day that he's been in the big leagues. He's now up to 40 games. And if you, for baseball savant, you don't always get a good idea of savant because there's been such a small window. And in 2023 so far he can only qualify into a couple of categories for his little percentiles when you pull up someone's page of saying where they rank but i was just curious on which things he's already qualified into and where he ranks on those and i just search it when you see you're in the hundredth percentile for sprint speed okay sure 99th 99th for arm strength 98th for max exit velocity. I mean, this is ridiculous whenever you're starting to see these things. And it's just showing that he is as advertised right away. There was no warm-up period. There was no adjustment period. He was just Ellie from the second he got to the big leagues. And I think that's what makes it so fun and sort of spoils it for like a lot of other fan bases because you look at it and it's like, oh, well, we want our top prospects to come up because then all of a sudden it's going to bring this life. No, no, no. This isn't how it always works. Every once in a while, you have a guy who really flourishes like this, and that's why the hype should be there for him when he's able to do it. Other guys can grow into it, but he was just it from day one, and that's what's most impressive for me. Absolutely. And again, as you said, 40 games. He's not even been up for two months. He is setting records, breaking his own records. This is just not normal. 
and it's amazing. So I'm just so grateful. And he's been such a fun and engaging player to watch, obviously, declaring himself the fastest man in the world in like his second week in the major. But I even saw like a quick um, video the Reds posted. They just had him record after uh, the series win yesterday. Hey, Reds fans, we're on to Milwaukee. Thanks for cheering for us, something like that. Even just engaging with fans in that way is so important. It is. It's one of the biggest parts and of being in the big leagues, and that'll sort of tie into what I want to say in my baseball as the best whatever moment of the week. Yeah, that we'll get into that more. That is such a big part of growing a fan base just for your own personal brand, but just when it's genuine, it's even better. Um, so before I move on to Juan Soto, I want to make sure we're done here. So as long as we're good to move on to Juan Soto, we'll continue to track uh, all of things Ellie De La Cruz, and I can't wait for him to, I guess, go 99.9 next, so that that's what we can talk about next week. Um, but Juan Soto... Uh, not as many capital letters here, but I know it's capital letters in your heart. <laughs> but I see 463 feet as the first thing that's on here. And again, in my brain, I see if I see a home run, it doesn't even start with a four. <laughs> so that's impressive in itself just to witness that. I'll just turn it over to you with the stats that you have on how ridiculously long of a home run that Soto hit. Absolutely. So on Friday, he had two home runs. Uh, the first was 447 feet, and then the second was 463, tied for the second longest of his career. He's only the 10th player to have multiple 445-foot home runs in a game under Sackhouse. Byron Buxton, Matt Olson, Austin Riley did it this year. Joey Gallo in 2021, Wilson Contreras and Josh Bell, and Charlie Blackman in 19, Trevor Story in 18, and Justin Smoke, fun name from the past in 2015. And I love this because we know Juan Soto has great plate discipline. We know he has power, certainly. When he makes contact, there's a lot of power there. You don't necessarily expect him to be on this list with Olsen and Riley and Gallo, Josh Bell, in his great season in 19. So I'd love for him to be on that power hitter list. And he has now... 14 career multi-homer games. That is tied for the eighth most before turning 25. And I always point out with age stuff with him, he had a 60-game season within that before turning 25. With 2020, we never will know how much higher up he might be on some of this. And the classic Minnesota. In multiple home runs and a walk in this game on Friday. That tied Mickey Mantle. Uh, the eighth time he has done that. Time for the most before turning 25 for anyone in baseball history. That's Juan Soto. And you know, trade deadline, people are talking about teams like the Padres and the Mets. 
specifically as being the teams that had really high expectations entering the year and aren't quite there yet and are they going to sell. This season Soto is having the pitching they have are the reasons that I think they can still turn this around. I'm curious. I know you're speaking as a team collectively. I'm curious because we we talked about it last year. We remember being at the All-Star break and all of the attention being on Soto and what was going to be next for him. Would he be traded? Where was he being traded? Once he was traded to the Padres and he, he wasn't quite the same Soto that we had seen since he had been in the big leagues. Um, and I know he, he's still great, but he's, he wasn't himself. And now we're starting to see him be himself again. What do you think is the biggest thing that's maybe positive that we've seen this year? Or I guess that's what I should say. What do you think is the biggest thing that speaks to you in saying this is the Juan Soto that's kind of here to stay and that one from last year is is in the rearview mirror? I mean, I think he's just doing what we were used to seeing him do in prior years before uh, 2022. You know, he's hitting the ball in the air a bit more. I think he's very conscious of needing to hit the ball in the air even more. I think that has been a bit of the issue the last few years, but when he makes contact, he is among the highest hard hit rates if we do by swing as opposed to by bad balls. And I also think he just looks like himself at the plate. That's not a number and that's not anything else, but He's getting on base, he is taking the right swings, he's being selected, and he's hitting the ball really hard. That is the one Soto that we have seen every other year of his career. And I think there are intangibles that we'll never know exactly, but that time during the All-Star break last year, we saw even just being there in L.A., how much pressure was on him, all of the conversations. And then he gets to San Diego. And before he can even play a game, the Tatis suspension comes down. And there's even more pressure to be the guy. They got you. You're the future Hall of Famer. Now go show him. And I think that just coming into his own getting to know his environment. He looks so happy in the dugout with his teammates. Not that he didn't last year, but you really see that he is part of that team, and I think that's a really important part. I'm trying to go back right now and see, because I remember tweeting about Soto in 2019 during the postseason. Yeah, and I had and I tweeted the number of times that I've had to remind myself that Juan Soto is twenty years old is starting to get too high to count, mm. and it's just like you think about the span of his career, how young he was. I remember thinking during all of his celebrations, he wasn't even able to partake in like the alcohol portions. It's like uh, this is uh-huh. it. This has been so fun to watch. Just still, how young he is. 
And I think that's more of the reason why, one, it was okay to see him have that hiccup because he hadn't had it yet and he had started his career so young and you're supposed to have hiccups early in your career and he hadn't yet. Um, And so it's something that you do move past and it wasn't something that he was just going to get stuck in and get derailed. But when you saw how exciting he was when he came up during that playoff run and I even tweeted two weeks later saying, I just want to be half as good at something as Juan Soto is at baseball. He truly captivated audiences everywhere during that postseason. And so when you see someone start that high, you don't want to see them then fall off. And so, yes, it was concerning last year to see, okay, is this trending in the wrong direction? But I think doing the whole correction that he has done this year is more than enough to show that what he started his career is the one Soto that we saw. And sometimes guys will scuffle and he is just not the guy who was scuffling. He's the guy who we saw at the beginning of his career. And again, I mean, we talked about this. I've read about this in the off season. His quote unquote Mm -hmm. bad year was like a 149 OPS plus. 49% better than MLB average. I would like for my bad (laughs) days to be 49% better than MLB average. I mean, that tells you what echelon he is Absolutely. So I think it'll be fun to continue to watch this season and see how he continues to go. And it's just hard to remind yourself still how young he is because it seems like he's been around forever now as we're talking about 2019 postseasons. But um, we can take a quick break and then we can come back and we can dive into all of our favorite moments from baseball over the past week. So maybe I'll give you guys each a minute to land on yours and we'll come back and we'll we'll hit on all three of our favorites. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and of course we have our wonderful producer, Alana Schreiber, to kick us off with our favorite segment. So Alana, would you like to give us your favorite moment from baseball over the past week? Yes. So you guys were talking about sweeps earlier, so I think mine is just going to be that the Nationals got their first sweep since June of 2021. They swept the Giants, which is no easy task. And they did it pretty handily. I mean, their second game, they won 10-1 and scored 10 runs in four innings. And I think I just love this because, like, as a Mets fan, I know what it's like at the end of July when you're like, okay, there's no chance we're making the playoffs. So you just have to find other things to root for within your team. And I'm just so happy for Nationals fans. I mean, it's been a really tough few years, and now at least they can celebrate 
getting their first sweep in over two years. I mean, that's pretty great. So I don't know. I'm just happy for them. And it was really funny, too, to see all like the articles and all the celebrations. And it's definitely a far cry from winning the World Series in 2019, but they got something to celebrate. So that was pretty cool. So I believe that was the longest streak in MLB history without a sweep. Yep. And I do have to apologize to my mother, the Giants fan. I thought we would make it a whole podcast without mentioning that. She was not thrilled. She is, as I've discussed on here, um, always a bit of a downer about her team. And I was getting texts yesterday on Sunday saying, why does nobody listen to me? I knew this would happen. So, you know, she was correct, I suppose. But, you know, I, um, was it yesterday or Saturday's game? Um, the post-game interview on Masson with Dom Smith, who was just a really good baseball guy. Who's been through a bunch with how his you know, time ended in New York and everything else. And he was just so genuine in saying, you know, we just want to go get some more curly W's for you fans. And he said that and I was sitting here like, oh my goodness, Tom, I love it. So I like it. And again, apologize to my mother. But curly W's, that's a good one. <laughs> Sarah, I know you were concerned that Alana was going to take yours, but I don't think she did. So do you want to go ahead and reveal yours then? I do. I was concerned because it was match related. So I always think she might be on it. But um, on Wednesday, um, the White Sox visited the Mets this week and Carlos Carrasco and Liam Hendricks hosted uh, some pediatric cancer patients before the game, uh, teaming up with obviously Carrasco has his foundation, Cookies Kids, and then Hendrix is called the um, South Fly, excuse me, the South Slida Society. I don't have his uh, accent, so that took me a moment, but just for them to spend time. And I remember seeing an interview just talking about how they wanted to show these children that a diagnosis like this doesn't define you and that you can still be living your life and not be sort of ashamed to be out and doing things. I thought that was a really important message. And again, just, I mean, two incredible role models for any cancer patient. So I love that Hendrix has been doing this and I think every road city they've been to and it was great to see him team up with Carrasco. How special is that? I mean, these kids, the life has, your life has to be flipped upside down. These kids don't even know what they are dealing with and how how awful it all is, like whatever it might be, to have two baseball players, to be able to speak from personal experience, to be able to see guys who have been through it and got through it and can still have this wonderful life. Like, God, that stuff makes me so happy and I love all of it. And I'm so glad that moments like that can happen and that these two guys seem both like really great people 
I was at least around Carlos Carrasco for a little bit in my start at, in Cleveland. And he truly just seems like he does want to give back and be in the community. He did that all while he was going through his diagnosis in uh, 2019. And he was visiting in the hospital even while he was going through it. So it, it all is, when it's so genuine like that, makes me so happy. Which is a good transition into what I want to talk about. Because when things are genuine, it's just so different. Because there's so many things that a, a player in any sport has to go through in being in his position because there's public things that you have appearances that you have to make. There's some random thing that they're going to ask you to show up at and take a couple of stage photos with some people come in, maybe sign an autograph for this person. And then you can go back and do your thing. Like they're required to do some stuff. And that comes with the territory. But when guys go the extra mile to do more than what they are required to do or expected to do is what hits most with me. I tweeted about it the other day and was the other day yesterday? I don't even remember what day it was. Two days ago, Saturday, because it was fireworks night. So Friday and Saturday. Tristan McKenzie gets back from their spring training complex in Goodyear. He's on the injured list. Um, he's dealing with some elbow trouble, and so he was down there trying to build up some more strength and flew back to Cleveland, On got back on Friday, and is with the team, stays and watches the game in the dugout. It's not like he's doing his own thing while the team continues. He's part of this team as much as he can be when he's in town. He stays after, though, the day he gets back from Arizona, and he immediately is hosting local kids from the Boys and Girls Club to watch fireworks on the field. You see him down there with just a swarm of, like, maybe 12 different kids, ages, I would guess, like, 9 to 12 range, from what I could see up in the press box. Hard to guesstimate ages just based on size, but that would be my guess. And he's sitting there in the middle of this group, and they're all just watching the fireworks. I saw him afterwards get up and just talk to them for a while. It's not like he just sat there and bolted. He talked to them for a while. He was putting his hand up, and I could see them putting their hand up against him to like measure their hand size compared to him because he's tall. He's a big dude. So they were trying to see how little their hand looked compared to his palm. And then I, they were just all interacting. And so the next day I asked him in the clubhouse, so I see you down there with these kids. I'm just curious when you're with that age group, do you ever get off the wall questions? Like what is the weirdest thing you've ever been asked? And he said, I really don't, but it is funny because last night I stood up after the fireworks and one kid said, whoa, are you bigger than Shaq? And I was just like, well, not quite. He just laughed. He's like, no, buddy, I'm not bigger than Shaq. But it's just like, I said, I'm impressed. I know Shaq is everywhere still, but I'm impressed that they're like a nine-year-old's whipping out a Shaq reference still. But regardless, um, so I was like, okay, that's cool. He did that, whatever. Well, then the next night, they do fireworks every Friday and Saturday. Saturday, he wasn't hosting anybody. He wasn't out there with any kids. He was just sort of lingering around. But after the fireworks ended, some of the kids were floating in the stands who had just been at the game, were floating around the Guardians dugout. And I look up and all of a sudden I see Tristan walking into the stands. He goes through the camera well to get to the little fence that you can stand in the stands. He's in the stands just signing for as many kids as that are there, taking his time to do that. 
Everyone else is out of the building. I think Miles Straw was still down on the field with his little daughter. But other than that, he was like walking out and the place is shutting down. They're kicking everyone out of the stadium saying, please leave if you're still here so we can clean up and go. And Tristan's just like, let me just sign a couple more for these kids. And he doesn't know anyone's watching. And it's just, to me, it's not for attention. It's not for anything. It's because he's just so genuine. And that that is the stuff that takes me to the next layer of appreciating what a guy can do in his career. It's so fun to see the impact you can make on the field and in the history books and how you grow the game. But how you grow the game can also happen off the field. And you think about the impact that each one of those kids who interacted with him this weekend, how they walk away feeling about baseball. Baseball is so cool. That guy, that pitcher, Tristan McKenzie, came up to me and he talked to me. I love this sport. Like what that does and oh gosh, I could I think it's just so incredible. So I thought that was just so cool to look up and, and see that he's just doing that in his spare time when he has no reason to still be at the ballpark. I mean that is so amazing. I know when you tweeted about it and tagged me. And I saw that, I was like immediately so taken with that story and to hear it and to hear what he had to say. Just incredible. And I love to see this from young players. You know, it isn't just the Joey Votto's and the guys who have been around and understand their place in the baseball world and the larger world now. It's guys who are young like him were so cognizant at such a young age of what they can do, what power they can have over children, over fans in general. I remember at the World Series in Philadelphia last year, Tristan was there working with MLB Social with our friend Brett, who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. And I mean... <laughs> He was there, he agreed to do that, he's doing like Instagram stories and whatever else it is. And he was just so happy and excited to be there looking around, seeing the World Series, seeing all that. Obviously it's cuter when it's interactions with kids, but just that understanding of where he is within the baseball world is really, really cool. And again, that is at this point, the norm, not the exception, with so many of these guys. And that's why this sport is in such a great spot right now. I was gonna that's what I was gonna say is that we're just seeing so many people do these types of things now and so many young guys who are so involved with kids and the community and all of this stuff. So uh, all of that just makes me so happy. I don't know how much more I can always say that because I make it very clear how much I love children and we're interacting with baseball. I'm still thinking about baby or Rosarena. I mean, all of this stuff uh, is just so wonderful. So I love seeing all of it and I, I couldn't help myself. I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. It's hard to believe that we're like already coming up on the trade deadline. So more and more, hopefully more and more stuff happens that we can really dive into some excitement and some news. For now, don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us, please leave us a rating and a review. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. And maybe we'll talk to you next week, or maybe we'll wait till after the deadline. You're just going to have to check back and find out. <laughs>